podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Bosco's boys are back, and we are going to have a second little uh, review of the basketball season. But before we do, we have our new sponsor, and that is LinkedIn. Guess what? LinkedIn has over 675 million members, and they're going to do all sorts of stuff if you're looking to hire someone, including screen candidates for you, filter in people by soft and hard skills, and make sure you're looking at the exact right profiles to fill your job today. Guess what? If you go over to linkedin.com slash team, that is linkedin.com slash team, today you can get your first job posting for $50 off. LinkedIn, again, amazing no matter what is going on in the world. If you need a job filled, go over there. They're connecting a new employee with an employer every eight seconds. So, again, if you're uh, starting up a podcasting company and you need an intern, go to linkedin.com slash team. So we're getting into it. Uh, Grant and Matt Hall uh, got their chance to review the season, and I just could, I couldn't, I couldn't stand by not – get my final two cents on basketball season end. And there's no one who I'd rather do that with me than KSU underscore fan, a.k.a. Jimmy, a.k.a. the Grand Puma of advanced statistics. Jimmy, how are you doing today? Pretty well. Pretty well. So you're sitting outside. It's nice outside. And, and uh, we're sitting out on my back deck and enjoying the nice weather and hopefully uh, getting used to um, staying inside most of the time for the last two weeks is to get outside and sit around for a change. I know. And you know what, if you're in the Kansas city area, like me, uh, I, we're recording this on Tuesday at four nineteen in the afternoon. Uh, I got, you know, less than eight hours to drive around without risking a $500 ticket. Luckily for me, my apartment is relatively close to a grocery store. So if I, if I do go for a joyride, I could plausibly convince a cop not to give me a ticket and say I'm just going over to high V. Uh, but, yeah, it's crazy times. I think anyone uh, listening to this in, you know, the world, let alone America right now, is uh, chilling at home, hopefully, you know, flattening the curve and all that jazz. But, uh, you know, if you're bored, go back and listen to some of the uh, old episodes of Bosco's Boys. Uh, I think all sorts of good K-State games on YouTube. It's being tweeted out by Kellis and uh, John, uh, JL Kurtz over there on Twitter. K-State Online, tons of uh, content to get us through this. And something I'll just throw in here, not even in the show notes, uh, but right before we went on, uh, assistant coach Brad Korn uh, just accepted the head coaching job at Southeast Missouri University, new head coach there. Um, I sent. I, I think I sent you a DM right when it came through. What was your in, initial reaction when you saw that? Well, I'd say the first thing I thought was it's good for him. Like I, 
I think he's a guy that wants to move up in the coaching profession, obviously. And, and uh, you know, there's debate about what people thought about um, his performance here. I think he, I think he did recruit pretty well at K state. Um, but I think overall a good opportunity for him to get a head coaching job and move up in the coaching world. And I think that's what he wanted to do. So I'm glad he got a chance to do it. Definitely. And that's, that's where I think college basketball, especially when it comes to coaching searches, is so intriguing and honestly even more entertaining than the football carousel. Because you, in, in fall, you know, there's only so many, you know, FBS jobs. When it comes to basketball, everyone's playing in the same division. There's 350-some jobs. You can have a guy like Brad, who was probably the second chair behind Bruce and behind uh, Lowry, have the opportunity to go to one of these small schools and make a name for himself. Um, it'll and it'll also be interesting to see the staff he puts together, uh, seeing that he spent some time here. Maybe you'd see a guy like J.O. go with him uh, over to Missouri, and uh, that, again, opens up a spot on K-State's bench. Uh, we we have literally less than 20 minutes since this news broke. Who's do you have any names that you'd like to see come back and fill that role? Um, that's a good question. Of, of guys that have have left, I would say, you know, you'd, you'd love to see Southwell perhaps come back as is a K Stater. But part of me just says, let's go get someone outside the family tree and get some new blood on the staff maybe some new recruiting connections and, and some new ideas for, for some different things we can do. So I think probably the guys on staff will probably bump up a leg or bump up a notch in the, the coaching order. And then I think they'll probably bring in someone at the bottom again, but uh, I'd like to see someone new more than I would like to see go get someone who's been here before. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, you and I talked a little bit before we hit record on this if Bruce's history is anything to be looked into, uh, you would probably anticipate either a promotion or Shane Southwell coming back. But I'm sure we'll hear more in the coming days. And, hell, this is being released on Wednesday. Uh, the decision might have already come out by the time this drops. So um, if it hasn't, I would say that our friends over at K-State Online will probably be covering this better than anyone else in the game um, so we'll see what happens. And, I, you know, I know I'll be watching Brad Corn's career and I'll be rooting for SEMO. And uh, who knows, maybe we could get them to come to Bramlage next year for a, a little pay game. And hopefully we'd get a nice, sizable win. And, uh, you know, Brad Corn can just take it on yeah, the chance. Yeah, and we've, we've <laughs> talked about that. I'm good with that. Let's get about five more SEMOs on the, on the schedule and get some wins. Yeah, get, get, get SEMO, get Florida A&M. You know, get get all these Ohio Valley and SWAC teams to come into Bramlage, and let's let's you know get 10, 11, 12 uh, non-conference wins. So um, we'll keep moving on again. Uh, a, a little bit of more news that has come out this week. We'll touch on before we review the the past season. Siri Lewis committed. I don't know if you've had any time to check out any of his highlights, any of his tape. But it seems like this is a guy who's going to give minutes at the four. He's an athletic guy, high motor guy. Uh, but I don't see him making an impact uh, anytime that soon. Do you think I'm off in that uh, sort of uh, 
perspective on them. I know Georgetown was in on them, so I could be wrong. I've been wrong a million times before. So uh, what what do you think he's going to bring to this It's hard to say with, with those bigs that are, you know, you know, kind of combo players in high school, pretty good athletes. Um, although with him, it seems like he's less of a shooter because, you know, my, my initial reaction is to think, well, maybe he can have like an Antonio Gordon type role next year, but he's a, he's a quite a bit different type of player from what I understand. He's not a shooter, even though Antonio Gordon did not shoot it well. He had the reputation of being a scorer and a shooter. Um, this Lewis kid doesn't seem like he's that kind of player. He's more of a, you know, garbage guy, kind of guy inside and go up and finish around the rim, get some rebounds, play good defense. I think the biggest thing that, you know, people have talked about on, on the boards on K-State Online is his ability to guard, you know, maybe three through five if you have to. So having a guy that has diverse skill set um, comes to mind. So, you know, you know, one of the comps I kind of thought of was a bigger version of Dominique Sutton. So we'll see what that looks like when he gets here and what he can do. But, you know, it's always good to get long athletes that can play and, and have some a diverse skill set, even even if he can't shoot it really. That's the only disappointment looking at his profile. Yeah, and I think uh, as we saw, Montavious Murphy and Antonio Gordon struggled a little bit at times with injuries. Antonio Gordon might go rogue and pick up a suspension every now and then. So I don't think it's a bad thing to get another guy who's going to predominantly be playing the four, um, especially if Bruce is going to – be married to, you know, the three guards and wings and then, you know, a swing guy at the four and a traditional big. If he's going to stay married to that, I see no problem bringing him in. And then the last piece of more breaking news, again, it was touched on on the episode on Monday that dropped. And I think I might have earlier said that we were recording on a Tuesday. No, this is Monday. Uh, quarantine lies really getting to my head. But uh, so – Kellis Robinette wrote an article yesterday saying that sources tell him Cartier Jada is going to be exploring a pro career. Um, we've had guys go through this process, uh, you know, in almost every off season since it was allowed that underclassmen to go uh, explore this stuff. Cam Stokes was first, then Barry Brown, then Xavier Sneed. I think both of us, you and I are both on the same page when, uh, I predict that Cartier Jada will not be coming back. Um, am I correctly making that assumption on your end? And if so, ooh, sounds like a dog yeah. there. Let's go. <laughs> hey, Scout's a good dog. Uh, and then, uh, do, do you think he will go pro? And do you think that is the right decision? You know, from the outside looking in. Well, if you if you tell any anybody that. You have a college graduate that can probably go somewhere and make six figures after they've graduated college. Um, you probably would support that person in that kind of move because um, I, I do think he's capable of doing that um, if he wants to go play in Europe. He's got the skill level, and, and you know you've seen guys go to Europe and play. Um, if he wants to try, you know, the Barry route or the Dean route, and try to go to the G league and play. I think he can, he's got a shot. I mean, I, I brought up on the boards, if Michael Orris can go play and, and play a season in the G league, I would think Hardy can make a roster in the G league and get a chance. So he's, he's got options. He's graduated. Uh, I would welcome him back. I think best case scenario for me, in my opinion, for K-State basketball is Cardi coming back and being fully bought in. But, um, 
I think he wants to go make money and he's, he's graduated college. I can't, I, I can't say that he shouldn't go do that. So that's, that's kind of where I fall on that. Yeah. I I'm on the same, same boat as you. I think there had been whispers uh, since even before the season got started that Cardi would be trying to pursue a pro career after this season. Um, I'm going to be disappointed to see him leave. I think we saw a good, you know, bump in production in him this year. And I think there is unfair narrative surrounding him uh, perpetrated by people who just didn't like uh, the way he carried himself on the floor. He, he, people wanted him to be Barry Brown when he is Cartier Jada. He is truly an individual. And I think some folks unfairly kind of held that against him. Uh, but that's my soapbox. Wherever he goes, I hope he's happy. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't know what more you could want from someone who represents your school. He got his degree. He always gave it his all, and he gave us some great moments. So if he thinks it's time to go get paid, uh, I want to I want him to do that and make all the money he can. At the end of the day, because he registered, he's way older than a lot of these pro ball prospects. So. I don't think he can hold anything against him if he's trying to go get money. I, I agree 100% with that. All right. So we'll get into uh, you and I discussing what ultimately ended up being a very disappointing disappointing season. Granted, K-State is the Big 12 tournament champion. So Correct. you can take that. Yeah, take that trophy, hang that banner. Uh, so it's not all that bad. But it, it didn't live up to our expectations coming into the season. Um so why is it, in your opinion, if you're going to pin down one or two things, why this season did not meet anybody's expectations, even the folks who had the lowest of the low expectations coming into the year? Well, I, you know, I, I, I started thinking early in the year that um, I had concerns about the top of our roster and whether or not our best players – were good enough to compete with the best players in the league. And I think ultimately that to me, that was the biggest factor is that, you know, and I, and I you know, I said good things about Cardi. I think he played pretty well this year. Um, I'd say he played about even to where he was last year. Um, even though last year, he, you know, he was injured, missed some, some time. Um, but between X Cardi and Mac, the three of them combined just didn't improve enough to be, all Big 12 caliber players. And, you know, I think X might have got an honorable mention, which I think was more of a probably a career vote than a season vote from from media or coaches. But if you don't have a first or second team all Big 12 player on your roster, it makes it tough for you to be a top half team. And, and we didn't really have that with those three guys. And then, you know, I think toward the end, I think Cardi did get better. He had a much better last 10 games than, than either Mac or X, and I think he started to kind of figure it out, um, but X never really did. He had a, you know, he had the splash game against Iowa State on senior day, which which I was very happy to see. Um, Mac, you know, had some pieces. He rebounded well, but, you know, you just had to have those guys raise the rest of the roster up, and they just couldn't do that. And then, you know, the other factor, the fourth factor would be someone else really step up and be a big star. And I think, you know, the hope there was, was Juan Gordon would come in and do that. And he had a fine season. He was a nice player, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a star. He didn't even 
perform to a Barry Brown, Cam Stokes first year level. And so you throw all those things together and, you know, you just don't have a good enough team to, to compete and win games in the Big 12 on a consistent basis. So I'm going to run through a few individuals and some groups of players, and I'd be interested to hear where you hoped or expected their seasons to go and where they fell short, or maybe in some occasions where they met uh, expectations. We'll start off with Cardi. Again, I, I went on my little soapbox earlier talking about how he was a guy who played better than I think fan perception yeah. was. I think, it, at least in my opinion, he was the only guy who lived up to what I hoped he was going to be. Maybe I would have hoped he would have done a little bit more, maybe not had, uh, you know, a couple, you know, games in a row where he underperformed, but he was probably the closest out of any of the big three to perform to what I hoped he would coming into the season. What were you hoping and expecting and where did he fall short or achieve what you wanted? Yeah, I was hoping, you know, second team, all big 12 level at least out of him. Um, I think he was close to that the last 10 games of the Big 12 season where he averaged 14.5 points. Um, he shot almost 60% on twos. He didn't shoot great from three. He had an efficiency over one of zero of nearly 1.4, 1.04 points per possession. So he did some good things. And, you know, his, his turnover rate went down a little bit, although his assist rate did too during that stretch. But he was – Seemed like a much more even player those last 10 games. Um, and, you know, he, he was really the reason we won the West Virginia game, if you're really honest, is that he had his, one of his best games of the year in that one. But other than that, the first 20 games or so, you know, he, he only had three games of uh, an efficiency of one or better. So, you know, he struggled for a long time figuring out his role, and I think the staff struggled figuring out his role. And, you know, once he figured that out, he became a pretty solid player, and, uh, but he, you know, he wasn't quite where I'd hoped he would get, but, you know, I can't disparage him too much because he did of those three, I think had the best season between X Mac and him. He would be the one that had the best season of the three. Yeah, I agree with you. And we'll move on to Xavier Sneed. I think I've said some things of the sorts on this podcast. I said something on Twitter, but in the history of the big 12, I don't think in his junior and sophomore season where he was the number four option on that team, I don't think there's ever been a guy who's been a better number four on a team when it comes to who you're looking for to score to support the big three. I, I think he was elite at that level. I just think he had a hard time turning into that number one. Um, I, I know you've said that you were hoping he'd be, you know, first team all big 12 type contender. And I think, when we saw him left off of the preseason ballots, K-State fans rightfully were uh, a little upset with that, but he definitely didn't live up to it. Is there any reason why you can, you know, point your finger and say, hey, it's this about Xavier Sneed that he just wasn't able to take it to that next level or that just be something that we, you know, go to our graves wondering why he couldn't quite do it? Well, I'd say just, you know, he, he was, you know, I don't want to be – too hard on the kid, but he he kind of was exposed to the things that he couldn't really do being guarded by the top defender every night for the opponent. Um, he was, he was really guarded tightly 
a lot, which made it tough for him to get shots, which, you know, kind of led to him dropping off a lot. His three-point shooting went down to 30%, and he was kind of a 34 35% career shooter coming into the year, and he dropped to 30%. He dropped to less than 30% in Big 12 play. And I think his inability to take people off the dribble when he caught it closely guarded and get to the rim and finish was really, you know, him not being able to do that really limited how you could get him open. I mean, you can run him through screens, you know, and, and you, I was hoping he'd be uh, Rodney Magruder kind of player, the senior, maybe, you know, contemporary would be Desmond Bain of TCU was kind of what I would hope he would have been like as a big 12 player this year. And he just, you know, he was so his shot, his, ability to get off shots uh, was so tough because he was guarded so close all the time because he couldn't really beat people off the dribble. Plus he didn't have a lot of help from other guys. So it just made it easy to guard him. And once he proved to be fairly easy to guard, not easy, but you could take him away and not get hurt other ways. Then, you know, K-State was kind of sunk after that. And then the final of the big three that I, I want to specifically talk about is McCall Maywean. Um, I think, I think at, when, when he was at his best, he was a guy who showed flashes that made all K-State fans wonder where is that every single yeah. game. I think back to that KU game in the Sprint Center his sophomore year, and it just – left everyone wondering, okay, what can this guy become in his upperclassman years? And I think that game in all likelihood hurt his uh, reception, perception amongst K-State fans because there were times where he did a lot of things good, but in my opinion, my own expectations of him just outreach what he truly could be. Um, what were you hoping to see from him senior year and I assume he didn't meet it, and why do you think that is? Well, I, I was hoping he'd be an, a much more efficient offensive player, and uh, he had his worst two-point percentage year by far. He shot 46.7%, and you know his first year he shot 62%, which was one of the best marks in K-State history. So you know, he dropped nearly what 15%, over 15% on twos, which is tough. Um, then his, his turnover rate was was – his worst of his career this year, although his assist rate was his best, though he didn't have a ton. He was still our best rebounder, and he probably had his best rebounding season of his career, so he did that well. But, you know, he was asked to be involved more. His possession rate was his highest. His shot rate was his highest of his career. And and then the other thing is he never figured out how to not get silly fouls. And so his, you know, he, he barely played, what, 22, 23 minutes a game. And we saw at times when he could play 30, 35 minutes, even if he wasn't scoring, his defense and rebounding would, would help this team a lot. But, you know, he just he just never progressed offensively to be able to score and finish inside uh, around the rim. And then he, he became a, 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 a detriment turning the ball over way too much. So those things overweighed a guy that was a pretty good fender, pretty good rebounder, plus the foul trouble. Yeah, it just, oh man, I just the foul trouble, and then 
for better or worse, and I don't want to, and we can talk about Levi Stockard in a little bit, there just wasn't enough behind Mac to ever allow him uh, to be in foul trouble and not have that basically destroy any game K-State was trying to compete in. So we'll, we'll move uh, beyond those big three. We had four newcomers coming into the year, Dejuan Gordon, Montavious Murphy, Tony Gordon, and David Sloan. Um, what were you hoping to see from those four? Did they achieve it? Did they leave a little to be desired? And I'll add something on. Do you think those four can take a big enough jump forward next year to have K-State competing to be at that, you know, 18-19 win mark? Well, I, I would say, you know, the, the guy I expected the most of, and I mentioned this earlier, was was Juan Gordon. And, you know, he had a nice season. He, he wasn't a bad player at all. Fourth leading score, six points a game, three and a half rebounds a game. Um, he ended up with a decent efficiency for a freshman of .94. Um, but he just he wasn't quite the scorer. Um, I think some of that was due to an injury that happened early in Big 12 play. Because he was early in Big 12 play, he was really playing pretty well and, and showing flashes of scoring. He had a couple you know, double-digit scoring games in the first half of, of a couple games there. But he just, you know, once he got hurt, he still had some explosiveness and some ability to go get hustle plays, get offensive rebounds, things like that. Played pretty good defense, but he just wasn't the scorer this team needed. And so, you know, he was a little bit disappointing in that, you know, we needed more scoring from somebody else, and he couldn't provide that. Um, I'd say Murphy was about what I thought. The disappointing thing with him was, you know, he missed, you know, probably over a third of the season with injuries. So not seeing him finish the year was tough. Um, Hopefully he comes back strong. He just – you know, he did a lot of things well. He didn't do anything great. Um, he wasn't a great scorer. He was a pretty solid rebounder. Um, so some good things there. And then I'd say Antonio Gordon really exceeded my expectations by far. Um, he became, you know, our second best rebounder when when you look at uh, rebounds per 100 possessions. So I give him a lot of credit there. You know, his, his shooting was rough. He, he shot a bunch of threes and didn't make very many. But, you know, we've seen guys – that were kind of stretch wars do that in the past and become decent shooters as they progress in their career. So hard to say what he's going to become. He was more of a role player. And then, you know, the fourth one would be David Sloan. He had moments, you know, I think he started slowly kind of picked it up towards the end of the non-conference, had a really good game against St. Louis, and then was kind of up and down in big 12 play. Um, I thought this team was better once he and Cardi started playing together more, but, um, at the same time, I don't think he was ready to do that early in the season. And it wasn't magic. Like, we didn't become a much, much better team with him and Cardi together. But he could become a really nice Juco point guard in his second year. You know, I'm hopeful for, you know, at the, at the worst, Frank Richards and maybe Anthony Bean, Elliot Hatcher type. Uh, although those guys were pretty darn good players when they came here. Yeah, and I thought that, the, the one encouraging thing about David Sloan, I was very impressed with his game in the penultimate uh, Big 12 tournament game mm-hmm. versus TCU. He made some big plays, and I, I really think his defense from the beginning of the season to the end of the season took a big step forward. Is it where we probably would want a point guard uh, under Bruce Weber to be? Probably not, but I think he made a 
big step forward. And I would really like, you know, the world to figure out this coronavirus thing so we could have a full summer on campus uh, improving his knowledge on the switches and the defensive schemes and take even another step forward before the uh, season starts next year on the defensive side of the floor. Yeah, that, and I would say the other thing about him was, you know, what you look for in a point guard, it's more of a true point guard. He was, you know, top six in the league and assists per 100 possessions and top 10, top 12 and assist to turnover ratio and top five for a point guard, top three or four even in both those categories. So he, he showed that he could be a facilitator and passer and, you know, he missed a lot of assists because guys didn't finish at the rim. So um, when you look at what traditional point guards do well, you know, he did those things well. Plus he had a pretty good steal rate, which is in the top 15 in the Big 12 as well. Yep. And I, I think, you know, unless Nigel Pack comes in and is lights out from day one, I would anticipate you see David Sloan being a starter for most of next year. So he's going to have the opportunities to make that step forward. So we'll move on. The last two uh, contributors throughout the entire season, uh, Mike and Levi. Um, For those two, uh, you know, I don't think anyone was anticipating them uh, needing to bear as much of a, uh, you know, burden as it seemed like they needed to in some games. What do you anticipate or hope from those two guys coming into the season did they give you what you were wanting? And then uh, they're going to be the seniors next year. Um, what are you anticipating uh, them in their final season? Oh, I mean, I think with Mike, you got a guy that, you know, almost doubled his scoring this year from last year, his first two years, really six, almost seven points a game, you know, became nearly a 40% three point shooter. Um, so I, I saw a lot of good things from Mike. He was a little bit up and down. He had, you know, he had great games and then bad games. So, you know, you would hope for a little more consistency. He also wasn't a real high usage player. So, you know, he wasn't a guy that looked to take a ton of shots, but he took good shots, I thought. And uh, he wasn't a high usage guy as well. You know, almost, you know, third or fourth to last on the team in usage rate. I was pretty impressed with, with what Mike became this year. Um, you know, I think he's a solid defender. He really made the plays down the stretch along with Sloan to win that game against TCU in the, the Big 12 term as well. So it was good to see him finish strongly uh, on the high note. And then Levi is, you know, I, I've got to be honest, Levi is probably my most frustrating player to watch this year just because some of the mistakes seem kind of bizarre for a guy at his level, but at the same time, you know, he, he might have been the best post player we had at making a post move and finishing around the rim. You saw it in the in the tournament game when he, you know, caught it up kind of in the short corner and faced up against Kevin Samuel and made a move, went around him and finished with a reverse layup on the other side and, you know, made a couple other nice shots in that game. So you saw flashes from him, but I think that's what he is. I don't think he can be a frontline player. I don't even think he can give you what you, Mac gave us this year. So, you know, he seems like a guy that, you know, has a good grasp of what's expected defensively, can rebound okay, can score inside okay, and can be a good mentor to all these young bigs we're going to have next year if, if he's going to be around. So I'd like to see him stay, and he was probably about what I thought. I never had real high expectations of him or any other bigs that, that left. So, um, 
I'd say Mike, you know, was probably our most improved player on our team, and Levi was about what I thought he'd be. We'll keep moving on, and this is a little bit of uh, out of order of how I had in the show notes, but uh, I want to touch on real quick Sean Williams leaving the program because uh, I- I'm sure I'm not the first or even probably the second, third, fourth, fifth, et cetera, person to have this come to mind. But as the season wore on, especially towards the end of the season, I kept thinking that that departure ended up being a much bigger deal than I realized in the moment. Um, we He came in and there was a lot of hope and hype surrounding him. Uh, seemed to just not be able to ever have it click on or off the floor. But in your mind, now that the season's completely over, how big of a deal did that end up being, or would it have really changed much if he would have stuck it out this year? I, I think it could have. I, you know, when he came back from his um, missing some games and his hiatus and played decent for a couple games, I, you know, I made, a, I think I made a post on KSO that I thought he was the key to the rest of the season, having another point guard option. And that was, you know, that was kind of before Sloan started doing anything. So, so you got to take that part of it as well. But having another guy that can handle the ball, because really, you know, after Sloan and Cardi, you know, you know, going back to Mike, that would maybe be the one disappointment with Mike is that he really wasn't able to become a third facilitator, which this team needed. And, uh, you know, we got used to uh, uh, Dean being such a great passer from the stretch four or five spot that, you know, we didn't have a third guy really develop and become that passer that a Bruce Weber offense needs. And I think Sean Williams could have been that. You know, he had explosiveness. He had, you know, some ability to pass and create in different ways than even Cardi or David did. And, you know, that that was a big hit playing with out a, a guy that I think this staff thought was going to be a pretty dynamic point guard by the time he was done. And missing on him and, and losing him was, was a pretty big hit. I don't, you know, I'm not going to say it was a, a difference maker in this team going to the NCAA tournament, but, you know, maybe this team wins six or seven games in the Big 12, you know, five or six, seven games in the Big 12 with him as opposed to just three. So that, that may have been the difference. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong in that one. Um, I will ask you, uh, what was the game this year, if there was one, where you finally just kind of, you know, dusted your hands and said, all right, this season is has no shot at being what I hoped it was going to be, and you just kind of, you know, lost your happy-go-lucky attitude when it comes to the Cavs? I would say the back-to-back, it wasn't just one, kind of back-to-back losses to Mississippi State and St. Louis that, you know, they really had chances to win both of those games late. Um you know, the disappointment of, of losing both games in the tournament, losing to Marquette at home. Marquette was, you know, we thought a pretty good team at the time. But then following that up and, and getting your fourth and fifth loss to drop to six and five in the non-conference, losing Mississippi State and St. Louis in both neutral site games. They weren't on their those teams' home floors. Those teams were decent but not great teams. And, and again, both teams, both games you had chances to win in case they couldn't win them. That was kind of when I thought, well, this is going to be real tough. And then, it, you know, it kind of came to a head against Oklahoma when we had that lead and the under four and then, what, gave up a 12-1 run or something like that to, to lose the game in the end. So that stretch of four games, you know, we beat Tulane in there or Colts in there in the middle. But 
that stretch of four games was kind of the end for me. Yeah, for me, I look back to that St. Louis game in the Sprint Center. It just, it was just demoralizing for for me uh, as a fan. And I think I tried to keep, you know, a happy face until the Oklahoma game, especially since I decided uh, after that Elite Eight game, I'm going to ride hard with yeah. Bruce. Um, it, it became really, really tough to, you know, go on the message boards, go on Twitter after those games and, it just got worse from that point on. So uh, we'll, we'll keep moving on with, you know, some superlatives, two quick superlatives of uh, the year. What was the highlight of the season for you? I'd, I'd say with the West Virginia game, because West Virginia was, you know, top 10 ranked at the time, came into Manhattan. And I, I thought maybe it was a game that was going to turn around the season. Not necessarily, again, I didn't think we'd become an NCAA tournament team, but I thought we'd go on a run and become a 6-7 win Big 12 team at least. Um, and we played so well in that game, made shots. Cardi was awesome in that game. And, you know, and then we followed it up with a decent, you know, win against Oklahoma a couple games later. But again, we had the Alabama game in between where we blew another game. So, you know, but the highlight was definitely West Virginia for me. Uh, Ironically enough for me, it was that final game being in the sprint center. You and I got to watch the game together. I think it had everything to do with the realization because That's I think true. by halftime of that game, you and I realized, okay, this is probably going to be the last game of the season for anyone. Um, you know, the world was collapsing uh, from the outside in and uh, just finding a way to finally, you know, win a yes. close game towards the end, despite the obnoxious Texas tech oh. fan cheering for TCA that right behind brutal. us. That was brutal. Which which was just weird because, I mean, it was just a very weird experience. It was like a surreal atmosphere inside the Sprint Center. Yeah. Um, that It really was, especially with the fallout of the world after that game, was the highlight for me. So uh, I have to ask, and there's a lot more options to choose from for this one, what was the low light of the season for you? Boy, that's I'd, I'd say, you know, when we got drilled by Baylor – Toward the end of the year, you know, that was that was pretty rough. That was our worst, I thought, our worst game of the year. And it was pretty bad. And it, you know, brought a losing streak to, what, eight games at that point. And ended up losing to KU and Oklahoma State after that. The the second one, that was, that was a low light. But then, you know, the back-to-back losses to Iowa State and Oklahoma State were, you know, were two games I thought, you know, I still – was optimistic at that point that we were turning it around. You know, that was a couple of games after Oklahoma and, and losing those two games to Iowa state and Oklahoma state back to back. was was a low light as well. So I, 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 I go back on the, the last Baylor one losing that game to Baylor was bad toward the end, but those back to back losses to Iowa state and Oklahoma state was probably the low point. Yeah. That, that's what it was for me. That's when I kind of got to the, came to the realization where I said, all right, we are 100% going to finish last. Yeah. There's no way around uh, anything. There's no way that the season was going to be salvaged. At that point, I think I was still trying to come up with scenarios to get to the NIT, <laughs> finish seventh in the conference. But when you lose both those games, it was it was all over from there. So uh, we're going to end on a happier note, though. Four players exiting, yeah, and all, all of them had stayed for three or four years. Um, I, I just want to know – uh, 
what what is going to be your lasting lasting memories and what do you think the legacy is of the players? We're going to start with Pearson, McAtee, PJ uh, on the team for four years. Um, of course, there's the pictures and videos of him being a ball boy during the Wooldridge years. Um, what's going to be your lasting me- memory of Mr. McAtee? Probably the uh, opening dunk against Iowa State and on, on Super Night. That? And that just the whole game, that game was pretty awesome. You know, he's actually a kid that I coached against when he was in high school. So um, he to see him progress and, you know, become a legitimate, you know, walk-on level player that, you know, could contribute in a game was pretty interesting, fun to see. And then, you know, just to see him finish senior day with, with a high, on a high note and play really well was, was really cool to see as well. <laughs> All right. Then the next one is McCall Mayween. What is going to be his lasting legacy and what is going to be your memory of him? You know, I'd, I'd say, you know, everybody's going to point to that, that game against KU in the sprint center, but he really played pretty well down the stretch last year and, and helping K-State win a big 12 title. And, you know, I, I think I'll remember him more as the complimentary piece he was with Dean Wade and Barry and Cam and Cardi and X in that run as, you know, winning big 12 title and being a key piece in the post and, and playing pretty well during the big 12 season when he, you know, he had a pretty good, pretty good stretch there. All right, the next one, Xavier Sneed. Well, you know, I, I, I think I tweeted it a while back, but, you know, seeing the Kentucky game again and what he did in that game, and, you know, he played his probably maybe his best game, you know, people will say the Iowa State game, but I, I would say the Kentucky game was probably the best game of his career maybe. And the, the plays he made in that game and even, you know, the, the stretch run in that NCAA tournament, he was really our best player. Even, even though he was maybe the third option behind Cam and and uh, Barry, but he was he was so good in that stretch run, and especially against Kentucky, that's what he'll, I'll always remember him as a piece of the lead eight in the Big Twelve title, and and not you know maybe this season. And then finally, the one we just had to add to this uh, outline after. Uh... It sounds like he will be going prone. We don't anticipate him coming back. What's going to be the lasting memories and legacy of Cartier Jada in your eyes? You know, well, you know, the, the iconic moment will always be the, the windmill dunk against KU. But, again, I would say the same thing. He was, you know, when he came back from injury last year, he was a, a, a big piece in helping win a Big 12 title. And, you know, he really came on when Cam went out the year before and helping that team get to the tournament. And then was a pretty good player in the tournament, you know, made a couple of key plays against T as well. So, you know, I'll always remember those three with Dean, Barry, and Cam, I think, more than I will without him. So, you know, with Mac and X and Cardi, they'll be a key pieces of probably two of the best back-to-back years of K-State basketball uh, that, that certainly in my lifetime, but, really in our history, unless you go back to the seventies or before. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with any of those. Um, I lied. I'm going to bring us back down to end the show. Ultimately, we all know Bruce is going to come back next year. A lot of folks aren't happy about that. Uh, shocker. I know. <laughs> um, but 
how do you perceive Bruce's seat after this year? Do you think it's hot at all? Do you think it's warm at all? Um, and what needs to happen next year to either completely cool off his seat, or do you think there's a, a realistic scenario where it might be enough is enough and Gene has to pull the trigger? I think he, if he's got a, if he repeats uh, with the 18 to 20 loss season, um, then I think that would be enough in my mind to pull the trigger. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but that would be, you know, where I stand on that. That you know, you can't go win three three games in the Big Twelve and, and struggle the way we did this year. Now that's going to be a tall order because you've got a really young team next year. Um, but I, I, you know, I think if if you can win ten or eleven non conference games because you you know probably have a fairly soft schedule outside um, your Big East and SEC games, and then you know win seven six, seven, eight games in the Big 12, and at least get to the NIT. To me, that's kind of the minimum. You know, get a couple big wins next year, show that you're making progress with this young group of guys and that you're repeating the cycle you did with basically Barry Keen, Dean, and Cam, and that you've got another group that's going to do that. And I, you know, I think that's definitely possible, but that's what I want to see. Perfect. I think we can all get on board with that, but – uh, that that will wrap up our show. That'll be uh, you know the end of the basketball review pod. Um, and with that, we're basically in the full off season mode. About a month earlier than we were last year, but uh, you know we will be bringing a show once a week all off season. Um, and next week we are actually going to have our second annual anniversary Q and A show. Believe it or not, we have been going at it officially for now uh, two years, a little over two years this show's been going. So we'll celebrate the Q&A episode uh, to end the sports season. Then we'll be in full off-season mode from April to August. So uh, Boneheads, Jimmy, you're included. If you have any questions that you want to hear, Grant and I get together and discuss. Get on Twitter and use the hashtag, hashtag AskBosco because that's the easiest way for us to track all the questions when we're doing the episode. Um, so that, that's going to wrap it up. Jimmy, I want to thank you because through this ride of two years of shows, it's you and Matt Hall, the two guys who helped us wrap up this basketball season who have been on more than anyone else. And uh, I enjoy no one more than yourself uh, as guests on the show. So I want to personally thank you for helping us out over the last two years and, uh, you know, the ride would not have been the same if you weren't in the car with well, us. Well, no problem. Thanks for letting me be a part of the best podcast for K-State fans out there and, you know, throwing in a few numbers once in a while and helping you guys out with that. And, and you know, you and Grant do a great job, and I really enjoy listening to your show. So hopefully more and more people keep listening to it. Yep, we'll keep riding. And, uh, you know, if if the pandemic <laughs> keeps knocking out sports uh, – I don't know what we're going to do. I, I might just, you know, I might just get COVID-19 myself if they try to cancel football season. So <laughs> hopefully everything's taken care of. Everyone flatten the curve, stay inside, don't infect other people. If you want football, uh, pay attention to all the scientists and doctors and all that jazz. Uh, so with that, I just want to say, Boneheads, we love you. Uh, Grant would tell you to meet him at the Cathead. And, uh, yeah, that wraps up a uh, – disappointing basketball season but better times are on the horizon i hope so that's all i got awesome all right perfect sports social podcast network